I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay. We have moved on to episode four of The Rings of Power. Yeah, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the season right now. And uh, we're also smack dab in the middle of uh, preparing for our wedding next weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So things are a little crazy around our parts. Uh, Um, We're still hoping to publish an episode next week, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. You might have to be a little patient with us. Uh, So let's just get right into it. Yeah. So far, we've kind of been sticking to uh, first talking about those three themes that Tolkien laid out about the Second Age and how that ties into what we're seeing in the Rings of Power. And let's just review those three themes. It is... The lingering of elves in Middle-earth the rise of Sauron to a new Dark Lord, and the rise and fall of Numenor. Okay. I definitely think episode four deals mainly with the rise of Sauron, and we we spend some time in Numenor as well, quite a bit of time. Yeah, again, kind of like the last episode, we don't get too much about the lingering of the elves. Right, which will be interesting to see if that comes back uh yeah i get the feeling it might not in this season yeah Um, definitely probably season two when we get more into probably the forging of the rings of power yeah i think you're right about that for sure before we get any deeper let's just talk about the four plots that are going on here so we have the southlanders and adar then we have what's going on on numenor with galadriel and halbrand then we have what is happening between the dwarves of Moria and the elves of Aragion and Elrond. And then we have the Harfoots and the Stranger, which we didn't see any of this episode. Yeah, they're just migrating right now. Yep. So, you know, getting into that second theme, the rise of Sauron. um, We see a lot of that with the Southlanders. Yeah, and I mean, we're introduced also to like a new Sauron candidate has entered the uh, the (laughs) tournament. The theory arena. Yeah. We get Adar, played by Joseph Maul, and I think everyone's been really looking forward to seeing him, especially after there's a whole episode titled Adar that he only showed up <laughs> he at the wasn't end. In. No, I really like this character. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you know me, I like dark characters, so he is perfect. He's my favorite so far. <laughs> yeah, and I think the plot of season one is really starting to emerge here, where we're seeing there are these orcs that... Uh, you know, are very resistant to sunlight, right. which as we know from the lore, you know, mm-hmm. the sun came from the two trees and they are corrupted evil beings. In the last episode, we learned that there was this backup plan to create a land for them in case Morgoth fell. Right. Which we now know is what will become Mordor, which is, you know, in the Southlands. So here we see this military leader leading his orc legions and... We actually got a mention of Aradruin, Mount Doom, which we know will probably be pretty key to transforming this land. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of moving along. And we still don't know who Adar is, but they theorize that he could be Sauron. Yeah, I don't think he's Sauron. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this in our theories section at the very end. But... um, uh, just I the mean, fact that the characters in show are theorizing about it. Yeah, there's um, no way. That's I'm like, not that's an obvious Sauron. misdirect. Um, um, I also think there are better candidates for Sauron. So we'll, we'll get more into that later. Yeah. This scene is very good. I, I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of the show altogether, the orcs. Yeah, I think this is the best orcs have been handled. Yeah, these are my favorite orcs so all far. All Middle-earth 
adaptations. Yeah, absolutely. I think just the design and the characterization is um, really good and, and really reminds me of, of the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I liked how they had a certain reverence during that funeral scene. I don't know. I think it's important to keep in mind people think that Tolkien is purely good versus evil, but it's more unfallen good versus fallen people. Right. Yeah. Um, that work had the potential to be good. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this show is showing that pretty well. And I mean, I don't know. I still can't get over Joseph Maul's performance as he was like mercy killing the orc. Yeah. It, it was, was really, it was, it was awesome. Um, um, and overall, I would say we, we've seen some good acting in this show for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. So we're definitely seeing that there's a return of Sauron happening people are sure. preparing for it uh we also see this in the the human southlanders yeah um with the blood blade yeah that theo has and yeah. also we've we finally found out where that whose barn that was he was searching right, for it was uh, right. waldrig yeah the like innkeeper or the bartender butcher, or butcher, butcher. <laughs> yeah like jack of all trades yeah um you know secret sauron devotee yeah um, really interesting great characterization on this one yeah, I, I love that he's probably for generations, his family has been passing down the sword and waiting for the day um, that their Lord will return. Yeah. Uh, it gives me really nice, like, dark Messiah vibes for Sauron. I don't know, I'm I'm really into this whole aspect of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the storylines that I think also lines up the most with the lore, too, I'll say. Which is um, wild, considering it's a completely fabricated story. Or yeah, or all the characters in it are completely made right, up new right. characters. They're all original to the show. Yeah, we know from like, again, our main texts, the Akalabeth of the Rings of Power, the Second Age stuff in Unfinished Tales, the Lord of the Rings and the Lord of the Rings Appendices. Now yeah. I know they only have the rights to the Lord of the Rings and the Appendices, but this other stuff can maybe help inform them in the decisions they make in the show. Right. And well, what we know from that in the Silmarillion is that, um, you know, the men of the South and East were like ready to turn to evil. <laughs> Um, Because Sauron was at work. We know that they were a lot more primitive than the people of Numenor. And we know that one of the first things that Sauron is going about doing is setting up his base of operations where he has the most loyalty to him. So just from these few sentences from those various texts, I think we're seeing a really cool storyline unfold here. Right. Um, And I think they've done a really good job with that. But then we have other storylines too, which gets into our third kind of major theme, which is uh, Numenor. Yep. You know, there's still Galadriel and Halbrand in Numenor. Yeah, and I think this is the first time we're actually seeing some movement in the Numenor plot. Unfortunately, yeah. it kind of, it, again, it's like the last minute of the episode where, yeah. we, where, where we get to see this decision by Muriel to go to Middle-earth and, and kind of enlist her people in the war against evil. Right. This definitely gets into... A piece from Unfinished Tales, uh, Aldarion and Orendis, where, you know, the timeline's been compressed, so it's not that king. Uh, I think it's King Menelder. He was really facing this decision, do we get involved in the affairs of Middle-earth with this new rising evil or not? And he's kind of like, if we do, we might become like these warmongers and stuff, which we know eventually kind of happens. But if we don't, then are we really living up to the promise that we were given Numenor for. Right, right. Which is exactly. that we our ancestors stood against this evil. So kind of wrestling with that, but also this realization that both ways may lead to the doom of Numenor. Right, exactly. Um, so I think we see Muriel wrestling with a lot of that, even yeah. though it's, you know, that happened generations uh, earlier in the text. I, I 
I'm going to kind of push back against that. I, I do think that's where in the text that this this kind of situation arises from in the show. It yeah. is not as well fleshed out as that. It we'll, we'll talk about this more later in likes and dislikes, but um, I, I have a lot of problems with the depiction of Muriel and, and kind of how they've executed this character in the writing. I just, I, I think it's a little sloppy. I think it's a little haphazard. But we are seeing kind of the, the beginnings of the reintegration of Numenor into Middle-earth and their expansion yeah. outwards. You know, I know a lot of people have been complaining about the time compression and that, you know, we lose this kind of sense of the Numenorians at their height falling. And, you know, I kind of just want to remind people, they still have a far way to fall. I also thought that this, the end of this episode especially, did go a long way to show that, I mean, they're kind of dickish and they're anti-elves, but they're still at their core a good people. Yeah, they're they're brave. And, and they're going to go help Middle-earth. Yeah, they definitely which, believe in, in stepping up when yeah. the... the call is made which i think is essential to at the beginning of the numenor arc like we need to see that they're good people yeah which we honestly haven't seen until this last moment i know so i i I have to say watching this episode i felt very inspired i got chills you know at the end of this episode because it was like oh my god finally finally we are moving to somewhere that's gonna take us anywhere (laughs) like you know it's not just like these annoying petty grievances we're we're actually moving on to the the larger plot yeah, right here big picture stuff yeah absolutely um, yeah um okay so we we can tell that there's some playing around with those uh three themes and and we'll keep watch over those but now it's time to move on to our likes of the show and what kind of struck us as a, a pretty awesome creative choice and um yeah what what did you like about this episode adar yeah. His design is awesome. Yeah. I think the idea of a corrupted elf leading orcs um, who they revere as a father. Like, again, there's some concepts that this show plays around with that have really nothing to do with the books that I'm like, that's awesome. I really like The Stranger. So we'll see how that plays into things. Yeah. But Adar is another character that I'm just like, I don't even care how closely or not closely this is tied to the books. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I really liked how they've built up Adar. And um, I, the few scenes we've had with him, I don't think have really disappointed. Um, the things he was saying about, you know, you've been told many lies of Middle Earth. They run so deep that to untangle them would require the creation of a new world. Morgoth vibes. I love it. I know. I mean... I, the the ideas of that Tolkien was playing around with like sub creation, I, I think are really at play here, which it still feels again very Tolkienian, even if it's not something he wrote. Totally. And so it, it made me think a lot about how, you know, the will and uh very essence of Morgoth had seeped into the world. Right. But also the fact that Morgoth he can't do anything with this world that right. doesn't have the stain of a Luvatar in it. Right, so exactly. It depends on how you look at it. I'm kind of still trying to figure Adar out. I'm like, is he like anti-Morgoth or like pro-Morgoth? Right, you know, it's right. like Yeah. So I think there's a lot of fun stuff to do with him. Um, and I'm really excited to see exactly what they do. I don't think he's Sauron. But, I, don't, um, I don't think he's Sauron. But, but I, here's the thing. I They've been playing up such a mystery around Sauron. And 
if they hadn't, I would be totally on board with this being Sauron. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the depiction is is really good and um, bone chilling and heart wrenching uh, in a way that's different than if you read The Stranger as Sauron, which is also I find terrifying. Like The Stranger as Sauron is a terrifying concept. But uh, Adar is like a, a different take on that and is still just as like kind of heart stopping. Well, yeah, it's kind of like an inverse to the stranger, where the stranger kind of seems friendly, but I mean, if he's Sauron, then that means he is so sinister. Underneath. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but Adar outwardly appears like he's leading orcs uh, who are, you know, obviously right. killing people and stuff. But there seems to be a moral complexity to him that shows a lot of emotion underneath. He's got a story, and let me tell you, I want to know what it is. Exactly. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, you've got me. By the way, me. like, I know I joke a lot about, like, how much I love Dark Lords, but, like, Adar is prime for romanticization oh, yeah. by someone like me. Um, so I'm looking forward to all that Adar fanfic out there. People get to writing. Sticking with that plotline, another thing I'm really liking in this show is just Arondir. Oh, Arondir is the coolest he, elf. He might be my favorite elf in the whole show. Yeah. Um, Maybe outside of Adar, if Adar is in fact an elf. I love the whole like rescue scene with Theo. Um, I thought it was really good. It, it could have been bad. Yeah, um, but <laughs> it was really cinematic and really great. And I love how it ends with like the sun coming out, yeah. the, the dawn. And um, and again, I think that ties in well with what the orcs are trying to accomplish, which is to create a land for themselves. Right. Exactly. It adds almost a little pity for the orcs, yeah. even though they're the bad guys in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I thought that whole sequence was really good. Yeah, I, I just, I like Iran Deer. I like all the scenes that he's in. I thought Bronwyn was going to get killed. Uh, and I'm glad she didn't, you know? It's great. So what did you like about this episode? I think the biggest thing that I like is that we finally are getting some movement in Numenor. Yeah, that just felt really good. Um, and it actually like I didn't realize it, but I was getting very antsy, particularly with that storyline. But honestly, the whole show has been making me antsy. I feel like a lot of things are drawn out. So I'm glad we're finally moving back towards Middle Earth in some way or another. Right. Um, and we're we're also getting a chance to see um, Farazon and his sort of role with the people of Numenor. Yeah. Um, I don't like the inciting incident. I'll talk about that a little bit more, but I love when Farazan His response. Responds yeah. to the kind of like forming angry mob um, over Galadriel's presence. I, I think that the way he speaks is how I want every single Numenorean to speak and yeah. to act. Um, so I'm glad we're getting some of that. I'm really looking forward to see where his character goes, because as we know, he will be one of the most defining characters of this entire show yeah. in the Second Age. Yeah, absolutely. So um, seeing where he's starting off in the show is really cool, and um, I think we're getting a little bit more of his character, and I think the actor's doing uh, you know, a really good job with him. So I'm just looking forward to seeing more Farazan. One last thing I kind of wanted to talk about was... And I know this might not be as important to everybody else, but um, this episode had a lot of like lore references, I think more <laughs> so than even the last few episodes. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to list through some of those. You know, noticeably, we haven't talked really about Elrond and Durin, and 
don't know. It's not that I dislike that storyline. I just I'm I don't need it. I don't care as much about it. But we did get some really great uh, bits about Arendil, which I thought was really neat. Uh, Celebrimbor saying that your I, I met your father and he told me my fate would rest in your hands. <laughs> yeah, actually, that scene. Um... When he says, when he sees Elrond walk into his workshop and he's like, oh, I'm just looking at you and I'm seeing your father. I, I just think it's so funny because those two actors, especially in the costume that they're in uh, and the, the hair, they look so they similar, look so similar <laughs> that I, I just like, I, I wanted him to say something like, oh, I thought you were a mirror of the past. or I don't know. I just like cracked up yeah. at that part because it's like. He looks like a young Celebrimbor. It's, yeah, it's just, it's just weird for any of them to comment on each other's yeah. visages because they're so similar. Yeah. So anyway. So yeah, we get that. And then we get uh, Elrond and Durin and he's talking a little bit about his father and the expectation that he feels. So even though I'm not crazy about the Elrond in Casa Doom story arc, and I'm not crazy about Elrond's aesthetic look, I think he's doing, they're doing a great job with his character. Yeah. This is really how I do picture Elrond. Um, Again, he's a big difference from the Hugo Weaving interpretation, who I would not say is as kind as Summer, as Tolkien described him. Yeah. This Elrond feels as kind as Summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I really have just always loved thinking about Elrond and his relationship, the fact that his parents left when he was a child. Um, he was raised by people who tried to kill his people and... Then he goes on to lose pretty much everyone else. People have pointed out this oath that he swears to Durin. Um, and I think it's something like, you know, sorrow will befall you if you know you break this oath. And it's like, he loses everyone. So I think he might end up breaking his yeah, oath. Yeah, I mean. Um, and this is why, like, Arwen leaves and uh, his wife is tortured by the orcs and has to leave. And yeah. And honestly, I mean, uh, even though the stuff that's happening in Moria, I agree, it, it's not like totally capturing my attention. I think it's all really well done. Um, I think the characterization of Disa is still just like top of my list as like, she's really great. What a great peek into dwarven oh i love the uh, the plea to the rocks oh or the singing, oh, her singing gorgeous so like absolutely beautiful absolutely gorgeous i just we get a lot of lore not in the sense of like stuff straight from the books but um the, i think that these creators have thought a lot about the dwarves and um yeah. about like putting context to to who the dwarves are yeah and i mean again another thing is like the mithril that's you know definitely from the yeah, books that's, that's huge and we start to see the dwarves and the elves of Aragion working together um, from afar. I want to see more close up because that's a pretty key part of the Second Age. And so I don't I want to see more of like the streets of Aragion and sure. see elves and dwarves working together. Yeah. I don't want to just like hear Celebrimbor talking about it. Um, Definitely. But um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, people also pointed out in the scene where Galadriel goes to Palantir's chambers we see a lot of artifacts around there. There appeared to be Narsil, mm. which will be a Lindil sword that mm -hmm. a Sealdor uses to cut the ring, and then later Aragorn's sword. Mm -hmm. We also see apparently the dragon helm of Turin in the background. There is a big, like, shiny golden axe, which a lot of people think might be the axe of Tuor. So, you know, in Numenor, they had preserved a lot of these heirlooms of the Adain of the First Age. Um, a lot of them were lost, but because right. Elendil took Narsil, 
that was preserved. So I thought that was some cool little just background nods. I mean, they didn't linger on anything. I think there was even like a painting of Baron and Luthien with the Silmaril. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, you're only going to really pick up on those things if you're a nerd deep in the lore which hopefully if you're listening to this podcast you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. you either you're, are or, or you're, you're interested wanting in to you know get there uh yeah so for me that kind of wraps up the little like particles of this that i can wholeheartedly say i liked yeah so let's move on to our problems <laughs> i want to start with what you started your likes with which is adar um absolutely fabulous character absolutely a major hacky ripoff as well this this is a, a theory that you like saw someone else say which was that uh or not a theory but like a, an analysis you saw someone else say online about wow you know they they definitely were inspired by colonel kurtz of apocalypse now for adar yeah and and i love apocalypse now oh, it's one of my favorite movies absolutely. of all time absolutely colonel kurtz i think <laughs> it's is such a really a good character fascinating character and i like love any kind of attempt to make your character like Colonel Kurtz. I yeah, think. I, I think that type of character is is very compelling and very interesting and, and, and takes a lot of energy to do correctly. And I'm on board for all of that. The problem that I think I had and you as well is that the dialogue is almost the exact same as when he meets Willard. It's, yeah, so you like basically looked it up and it it is nearly like... Line for line, they just adapted it for Middle Earth. Yeah, he's like, where are you from, Willard? Where are you from, soldier? Uh, oh, from the mouth of the river? Oh, like the Ohio River? And he's just like, uh, oh, I, I went down that river once as a kid. And in this one, it's like, I went down that river once when I was young. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, oh, they're like gardenias. And, and now Adar is being like, oh, they're sage blossoms uh, for miles. So, yeah, a pretty uncanny resemblance yeah aka like a total ripoff again i'm all for him doing like a a brando type you know he's like (laughs) he's kind of like muttering a little bit and i'm all for them paying like homage to that but again i'm just like it's a little too much it's a little too on the nose well and also (laughs) i would say a little too much and a little too little like if you're gonna go as far as basically copying some of the most fucking famous movie dialogue from like i don't know the meeting of willard and kurtz in apocalypse now is i mean apocalypse now is a standout classic movie that's a pretty important scene in the whole movie yeah to copy it is a little bit too much and uh but also it's like okay if you're gonna do that like go all the way like make Adar a little more violent, make him a little more scary. Um, and it, to me, I was so up on Adar until this morning when you brought this to my attention. And then it, it made me, it turns my stomach, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was watching that and, and I rewatched it and I almost half expected a Ron Deer to be just like, they're going to make me a major for this. And I wasn't even in their fucking army anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like, yeah. I don't know. It was just like, it was very like, okay. It's, so at first I was like, wow, why do I love this so much? And I'm like, oh, because I've oh, seen this I've before. I've seen this before exactly. and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have a huge problem with that creatively. And, and we'll see how much of that kind of shit continues. Maybe it was just the opening introduction. They're like, they're wanting to draw parallels oh, to Kurds so and much. now they're going to back off a little bit, but it was still like, I mean, it was a good, Im- it was a good impression. Oh, it's great. It Again, was amazing. I think it, Joseph it, Mall it was really nailed well the done. scene. Um, but um, 
But yeah. can you really get away with something like that uh, when you're not like actually referencing it outright? I mean, I mean, do you really have to say like, I went down that river one? Like, I know, ex- I know. Exactly. Line for line. Um, I know. So anyway. Crazy. So that's annoying. But there are bigger problems with this show. I just wanted to start with that one because yeah. it, it, it marred a an otherwise excellent aspect of this episode. Yeah, I mean, that was my favorite part of the yeah. show. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's um, sort of like, uh, okay. But uh, again, as much as I'm glad we're moving in the Numenor plot, um, I got these fucking little petty grievances. The whole Isildur plot just... I miss me with that, man. I'm yeah. I don't care too much about the Alindil family drama right now. We'll see. Like once Ugh. we get more into like the faithful versus the Kingsmen, and maybe his family's being torn apart politically, then I'll care. But right now, like I just think he's a shitty guy. He did something really dangerous when he could have just said, "I don't want to be a part of the Sea Guard anymore," or just like I don't know, not shown up for fucking work that day, and gotten fired, gotten you know? fired, some other non like potentially dangerous way, um, and he gets his friends kicked out it just, too. It's it's felt, felt a little contrived. Um, it, all of it feels very yeah. contrived to me. Um, everything That's, in Numenor. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just like these little things that you know, are, are there to create a little bit of tension that, again, I think, like, the bigger story arc of what's going on in Numenor, like, that's all the tension you need. Yeah. And it needs to be fleshed out a little bit more. Totally. I felt things have just been drug on a little too long and, like, been a little redundant at this point. I think we could have gotten to this conclusion in Numenor where things are at a little earlier. Sure. Um, I, um, yeah. I, I think there's been a lot of like weird things that didn't need to happen. Um, I guess first on the list for me is Halbrand uh, mansplaining basic diplomacy to Galadriel in the prison. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> it's such a shame because I, I love the design for Numenor and all like yeah. the visual storytelling sure. going on there. Oh, yeah. I think it's awesome. So I, it's really upsetting to me that I think this is my biggest issue story-wise. Totally. And again, yeah, Galadriel, I'm not crazy about her being in Numenor in the first place. And then again, I, I'm okay with her being very headstrong. And I really liked her in the first episode when everyone is wrong, obviously. And she's right. And she's just like, but now she's fuck all of wrong. you. Like now she's pretty, um, she, she can be pretty out of it's line. It's just some of these story decisions are like at the expense of her intelligence. And like, totally. I just, it's a real, I don't know. To me, it's a big drag on the show. Speaking of female intelligence in this show, this brings me to my issues with Muriel. I Again, it's nothing with how these characters are being acted. I think they're doing awesome. Um, and it's not that the dialogue is written badly. It's that the concepts and the conceit behind what's going on just like totally is not of my taste. I think it's pretty wild that Muriel is basing literally all of her decisions. Okay, let's let's put this into context. Muriel is the daughter of a deposed king. She has a very noticeably weak hold over her people. She knows it. Farazhan knows it. And like, she knows she needs Farazhan. Farazhan knows she needs him. Yeah. We can see that there are tensions there with the control of Numenor or the beginnings of, of some. Right. She is very self-conscious of uh, leading her people astray. And then we find out 
all of her actions, like all of her decision making when it comes to that is based off of this vision she's having from the Palantir, which let's like quickly take a nod towards like, that's not how Palantirs work. They are communication devices. Oh, they're obviously making a parallel to the mirror of Galadriel. They even yeah. say like things that have not yet come to pass. Yeah, but the mirror of Galadriel is not a Palantir. Palantir are just communication devices. Right. That work with the other stones. Exactly. So if there's no other stones around, I don't know why this is showing them visions of the future. Right. And like, I mean, if anyway. she were, it, let's let's pretend for a second she is communicating with Sauron, who we know loves to communicate through Palantirs and fuck people up. Say that Sauron's the one showing her this vision. Why would he show her this vision? He He doesn't, you know, like... He yeah. wants this to happen. Like, I, I think the faithful have the other Palantir. I think okay. I think they've hidden them. Interesting. Um, yeah, because we know that seven come to Middle Earth. Yeah. So she says six have been lost. I think it's because the on the west side them. of the island, and they're using those to communicate with each other. I love that. I wonder if they're communicating this vision. Um, Maybe so. And yeah. and that would be really interesting. Uh, I I hope we see more development of that, and it's not just like touch my magic ball and see I the potential future. I know. Um, I'm not going to hold out much hope. Um, <laughs> like I mean it's like not that I have like so little faith it's just that no, yeah. I don't know it's like that's just I feel like this is a very simple thing for movie audiences to just be like oh like it's a magic ball you know but like let's pretend we accept all of this you know and, and yeah. you know I still don't understand how she gets from seeing this vision acknowledging that the prophecy has already started to come to fruition this is it seems to be an unknown prophecy. It seems to be something that only she and her father are, have seen. Right. Well, I think her actions would make a lot more sense if this is well known in Numenor that like when, right. the, when the elf comes, that's the sign of our doom. Exactly. Um, but we haven't gotten but much indication that's the it's case. It's not. You so, know, it, I um, mean, that's clearly not the case. And um, but she's like, that's why you have to leave and everyone has to see you leave. And I'm just like, it's like, can you okay? reverse a prophecy mid portents? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, um, I don't think so. Like, maybe you should be looking for other ways out. Um, my other frustration comes from the execution of this. They, you know, they send Galadriel off in a boat, and then there's this like, I don't know if it's a vision or if literally the leaves, the flowers start falling and she's like oh the tears of the god you know we oh, no, her, I, I think early the, the leaves have started to fall like actually right um, so yeah. she's like the tears of the valar everyone should pay attention to and you know like that's what the faith will believe like blah 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 and then she's like no like we're gonna get her back and like we're all going but to me just like it just skipped over a few logistical steps that yeah. like maybe i'm a, a dum-dum and like well, when, I don't feel like I need it totally explained to me, but I am sort of like, how do we get to the point that then Galadriel's popping out from behind the curtain and she's like, we're all going to Middle Earth. <laughs> Who stands with Numenor? I think one thing that would be cool instead of just seeing Farazhan, Muriel, and Elendil's reaction to the petals falling would be the people of Numenor. And right. them realizing, oh, we're kind of, we need to do this. But I do, I do love how that all resolved itself eventually. Yeah, no, no, that, just, that's the best part. It's just kind of how we got there. It's just was kind a little, of like clunky. I, I felt a little muddy, yeah. Yeah, um, like just unclear. And, and um, also, you know, I, it's clear that Farazan has a lot of different 
feelings. And um, it's even possible that he uh, paid that guy. You know, like there's this connection between him and the guy who's in the public square. Oh, yeah. Was was that inciting people? Was that a stage thing to give Farazan this opportunity to uh, convince the people otherwise and and kind of, again, grow his power with the common person? Right. Um, But like, when it's announced that everyone's going to Middle Earth, he's just like, yes, who stands forth with their queen? And it's sort of like, I want to know more about what he feels about this sudden change in everything that the yeah. the, the country of Numenor is, is deciding to do. My last thing I'll say about Numenor is I, I you know, whether the guy in the square is paid off by Farazan or he's just coming up with his own, you know, theories and fears... I hate the, they're going to take our jobs. First of all, there's one elf and she doesn't want to be there. Second of all, don't make references to American political. Like to me, it just seems like a very clear reference to a a very common American political. And I think there's enough um, political things in Numenor that are very relevant to today. Yeah. That are just like timeless. That's why Tolkien wrote it is because they're timeless things that, you know, recur. But that one did feel a little too on the nose. It's just like, are these people who work in guilds? Like literally no one's allowed to work if they aren't part of their basically like a union. Uh, It doesn't seem like there are tons of starving people in the city. It seems like it's supposed to be a pretty utopic place um, or an advanced civilization. Why would anyone be like chanting around this guy like, oh, no, my job. It's like, dude, your job is super protected. Like everyone hates elves here. No one's going to hire elves. Like what? It it just to me, it seems way too much like uh, a projection of our own society onto this very different society. Anyway, what did you not like about the show? (laughs) Outside of like the Numenorians at the end deciding to kind of go to Middle Earth and then also the Southlands plotline, um, I still felt this episode there wasn't like a whole lot moving here. And it gave me kind of a chance to step back and look at all the story arcs and kind of see like what is working for me and what's not. And I think, at least from like a lore perspective, what I keep coming back to is. Galadriel and Elrond's arcs and how I feel like they would be better benefited being swapped. Right. Like we've said before, there's not a whole lot written about the Second Age, so they're having to extrapolate a lot from just a few sentences, basically. Galadriel, all we really know about her is that, you know, sometime before the end of the First Age, she goes east, and then she maybe goes and founds a Region. Other versions, Celebrimbor founds it. And then she meets the Dwarves of Moria, and then she goes through the mountains... And then eventually settles down in what will become Lothlorien to kind of counter the machinations of Sauron, who she's the only one perceiving is like still back. And he's like where all this evil is coming from, this one source. And so, you know, when you look at her overall arc, it's like she keeps moving eastward um, because that's where Sauron is at the beginning of the Second Age. So the decision to like pack her up and send her west to the westernmost of all mortal lands I'm just, I'm not really into her being in Numenor. And I'm like, the other storyline that's like totally kind of just made up out of the blue is Elrond and his friendship with Durin and going to Moria. I think Elrond, who is the brother of the founder of Numenor, should be the one going to Numenor. He'd be a lot more of a threatening appearance. And I think uh, I'm also missing some context for like why the men fear 
elves. I mean, so far the biggest yeah. context we've gotten is they are afraid they're taking their jobs. <laughs> um, but I think like having the twin brother of your first king walking your streets in eternal youth would be enough to freak a lot of people out. Uh, 100%. So I think that would be cool. And then also, I think instead of Gladriel trying to raise a Numenorean army, she should be trying to raise a dwarven army. Because um, the books say that she looked on the dwarves with the eye of a commander and saw them as the finest soldiers to pit against Sauron. Also, being a pupil of Aule, she would have a natural... Um, familiarity with the yeah, dwarves. Familiarity yeah, familiarity with the dwarves, who Aule is you know, their creator. And uh, I just associate Galadriel so much more with Khazad-dûm than Elrond, and Elrond more with Numenor. So the fact that they're in these places in these random kind of story arcs, I'm like, it just feels weird to me. So I'm really looking forward to Galadriel coming back to Middle-earth. Me too. Because that's where she should be. I, I think it's um, kind of wild. This was a complaint we had of an earlier episode, it's kind of wild she ever even considers leaving Middle-earth at all. Like, the, the fact that she gets yeah. on that ship is like, like, wild. Granted, Galadriel is swearing a vow to hunt down Sauron. That's not in the books. But, again, we know she uh, founded Lothlorien in the further east to counter the machinations of Sauron. So I think if you want to, like, you know, take a single sentence and create a whole story arc out of it, I think Galadriel pushing further east to hunt down Sauron is the natural way to go. Yeah. And it started out that way. Yeah. And then they're immediately like, we found a clue. All right, let's pack it in. And maybe we'll sw- we'll see a switcheroo. I want to get back to characters. that. Because I just but hated yeah. how immediately, because she seemed like she was ready to go on alone, but then she submitted to Gilgalad. And it, it felt, again, felt very contrived that she submitted long enough until she got all the way to <laughs> Numenor and then decided to back out. Or to Valinor. Or yeah, to Valinor. But then she decided to back out and that's how she ended up nearby in Numenor. So... It felt like at some point they're like, we got to get Galadriel to Numenor. So let's figure that out. And then, yeah. but I'm just like, why? So I don't know. Just from like the the book perspective, that kind of bothers me a bit. And I think I want to draw a distinction here though between, you know, people say this is lore breaking. Um, I, I take issue with that term. I think a lot of this show is lore additions. So to me, something lore breaking is like that gets in the way of something that will happen. We have five seasons, so I'm sure Galadriel will eventually go east and found Lothlorien. As long as like this Numenor stuff doesn't get in the way of that, it's not lore breaking. It's just an addition. But again, to me, it feels like a very unnecessary one. Right. It, it, I think it comes down to a question when when you know the Tolkien legendarium as deeply as you know it, it becomes like a well, why not just do this? It's so well, much easier to make these connections. I know. I'm just like, what better serves the story and right. these characters? And again, I associate Galadriel more with dwarves and Elrond with Numenor. Right. So I'm like, this is a bit odd. I, I And Galadriel's arc trends eastward, not westward. So it's just, it's strange. These are just their choices for sure. But I don't know if I agree with all of them. Yeah. So that's kind of my big issue. And I mean, things are finally starting to move along a lot, which I'm really looking forward to. But I kind of wish this was still like episode three. I wish the first three episodes were cut down a little. And then these things that kind of cap off a lot of those arcs and are setting up the next stage happened last episode. And so now we could just get into it. But Hopefully these next four episodes are a little faster paced. I'm trying not to be impatient, but I'm like... Well, I mean, this is the problem with knowing they're doing five seasons is like they they know they're doing five seasons. So, and they're long seasons. They're eight episode seasons. So it 
it's significant. It's a significant amount of time for them to to kind of pull out this narrative uh, a little more. And I, again, I, I think that's why we're getting all of these like petty arguments and weird tension that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Just just ha- it's there because two characters are on screen. Yeah, I just can't wait for like the big things to start happening so yeah. that the tension is actually related to those things, not like these kind of sort of contrived um, and it's tensions. so it's so funny. We were talking about this earlier in comparison to a show like Game of Thrones, which has tons of like palace intrigue kind of little things, but all of it seems to stem from the main plot and all of it leads back to the main plot. There have been so many little tiffs in this show so far that like just have nothing. And and well, it doesn't and they might eventually, but it's like maybe. we haven't seen much to indicate that right now. I feel now. like a lot yeah. of them don't even further characterization in a direction I want it further. You know, yeah. like it, it's just a I, lot. I feel like we're spending a lot of time on some of these arcs, but like the more important stuff is not getting fleshed out as much as it should be. And yeah. we're spending time on like Ellen Deal's family drama. And I'm like, well, it's like, who cares when Farazan and Muriel are cousins and we need to know that? Like, yeah, that hasn't been mentioned. That hasn't at been all. talked about. So, so yeah. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to it, but, and you know, we'll try to be patient, but again, I'm just like, it'd be, it'd be nice to set that up to contextualize right off the bat, everything that follows after. I think, I think what's frustrating about some of those things is that it it would not take an entire scene. It would not take an entire episode. It it would take like a line of dialogue. One or not even one word. Farazan talks to his queen all the time. Just have him call her cousin at the, like as a, you know, that's, that's common. So like. Just just do these little tweaks that give yeah. us so much more characterization yeah. and context totally. for what's going on. Okay. Right. Let's get into our theories. Let's start off with the big one, Adar. Um, still going strong with him being Maglor? Possibly. I mean, the whole... I mean, in addition to being ripped right out of Apocalypse Now, <laughs> uh, him talking about... I think it's very interesting. We get a name drop of Beleriand. Uh, Arondir's from there. The first thing... Maglor says is from the mouths of the river. There's a few rivers in Beleriand, but the big main one is Sirion. And the big thing that happens at the mouths of Sirion is the third kinslaying, right. which was led by Mithros and Maglor. Yeah. And of the two of them, Maglor's the only one who is still alive at the end of the Silmarillion. So again, <laughs> there's that. Uh, he has, again, the one hand uh, that's covered, which would indicate maybe he burned it on the Silmaril like Maglor did. He has a similar river pattern in his armor that Gilgalad and Elrond have, and they all lived near the mouths of Sirion when that went down. He looks exactly like that tapestry figure. Yeah, who was in Elrond's uh, company. And as we know, Maglor helped raise Elrond. We've slowly been getting more about Elrond's parentage, which, you know, if they continue that trend, we're eventually going to find out maybe that he was raised by someone that wasn't his own father, possibly Adar. So um, I think that's a very interesting theory, and I think they could have a lot of fun with that. I think at the very least, based off his armor, I think he's a Noldor elf. There's been a lot of people thinking he's maybe one of the first elves that Morgoth corrupted. Hmm. But how would he have Noldor armor then? That would imply that he's been to Valinor and then came back as an exile during the Wars of the Silmarils. So I think that would put him at a later point in the story than yeah. being the one of the original progenitors of orcs. Right. Now, I think he could still be a father of these particular orcs, 
But like maybe they did wipe out all the orcs at the end of the first age, and he's the one that's helped create the new race. Maybe. Maybe. So he's definitely a Noldor elf, I think. Yeah, I um, think so. Whether he's a, a rival or a servant of Sauron remains to be seen. There's another theory he could be Maeglin, who survived the fall of Gondolin. Oh. Um, hence, like, the burn scars. He fell into the fires. I don't care for that theory. Yeah. Oh, it's just so much better if he's a son of Feanor, um, yeah. given their position in the world. I really like the whole um, you've been told many lies um, line, because one thing I have issues with in the first episode is the prologue and how skipped over some things are. <laughs> yeah. And some people have pointed out that the very things that Galadriel skips over are the right. same things that Galadriel in the books skips over when she tells the story to Melion. Yeah. Um, because she doesn't want to like shame her family. Right. Because <laughs> uh, there's no mention of the Valor. There's no mention of the Silmarils. It just seems like Morgoth was the Dark Lord who came to Middle-earth. So and that's we, why we're here. We came here to defeat him. Yeah. I would love it if he's like Maglor and, and Maglor actually wrote a song about the Kinslaying. Oh, really? Which I thought was always a really cool part of his character that he chose to preserve the most shameful part of his yeah. family history. So I think it'd be cool if he's like... We did not come as heroes. Right. Um, no, this is like a very complex tale. <laughs> I would love Adar giving us another prologue I, that goes into ugh. everything else. I, love I might it. be being very hopeful there, but we'll no, see. No, but I, I agree. I, I think that's exactly what I would like from, from this. Um, I'm still strong on the fact that the stranger is Sauron. Me too. Um, yeah. I think, again, I think that just it lines up the most. I, I think Halbrand as Sauron... Ah, they're given they're leaning into it a lot. I mean, maybe as a red herring, but I just on a gut level do not like that. I don't like that Sauron's all would already be in Numenor. I think Farazon has to like demand audience with yeah, Sauron. Yeah, I, I would hate if we just miss out on that scene, because again, they have the rights to that in the appendices. So I'm willing to give them some grace where they don't have the rights around stuff, but when they do have the rights to it and they change it, I would be very upset with that. So, <laughs> and again, time compression, I don't think it needs to mean time out of order. No. Um, Numenor needs to happen way. There's so many things we need to get to before Sauron comes to Numenor. Yeah. So the fact that they would be doing that in season one, I'm like, that's kind of bullshit. I just, I don't, um, I don't think so. And, and yeah, I, I just don't think that's what's happening here. Um, and, and also, if that was the case, then we lose an awesome character in Halbrand as a king of the Southlands. Right. I think he's prime Nazgul material, and I would be really upset if we lose that to him just being Sauron because he's hot and he likes to forge things and manipulate people. Pretty basic, you know, to me, pretty baity type things totally. for Sauron. Yeah. I, I think he's primed to be a red herring for Sauron, um, but not really him himself. And also, I would really hate it because Galadriel in the books is supposed to have seen right through Sauron's disguises. Right. And so far, she's like listening to everything he's saying. Yeah. And of everyone probably falling the most for what he's saying. So I I think that would make Galadriel look really bad. That's all I'll say on that. I'm not a fan of that theory. Not one bit. <laughs> I think that's it for right now. Yeah, there was no new Stranger stuff. So, you know, we don't really know. We don't have more info on that. Too much about that, yeah. Um. But yeah, we'll hopefully be back next week to talk about episode five. Um, until then, you can follow us on Twitter. Our, our Twitter is very active right now uh, since the, the show has come out. William is tweeting away. Popping off. Popping off. Um, and our, our handle is at half as well pod. You can also check out our website, which we need to get updated 
um, at halfaswellpodcast.com. And make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm William. And I'm Sage. And this is Half Half As As Well. Well.